This one is for you from Jesus. Jesus loves you, my friend. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. I received these gloves that I really love. It's my favorite color. <laughs> yes. And I received this awesome mask that I'm going to scare my little sister and brother in the night with. <laughs> yes. And this pants. And I'm going to use them in every book I have for school. And these awesome <laughs> socks. And yeah, I just love it. It's like, <laughs> it brings this feeling to my heart that there's somebody out there that wants to share God's word. And even though we feel lost, that God is not there, that yes, God exists and he hears our prayers. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Dan, and this is how I GOC. Um, I've been a part of Northridge family since high school, so uh, I've been to GOC. It's a great show. I bought six tickets. I don't know who they're for. Something led me to buy them, and um, my goal is to give them away to non-believers, co-workers, atheists, people who have not accepted Christ in their lives yet, people who wouldn't come to church otherwise. I think it's cool that our church uses GOC to, as like a tool to bring people in. It's um, it's exciting and, and and I don't regret buying these tickets at all. I'm, I'm really excited to, to figure out who they're gonna go to. Well, good morning. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. For those of you here in Plymouth, for those of you at our regional campuses, Celine, Brighton, Grosseal, so glad you're a part of this one church that God's doing so much through that meets in four different locations. And maybe you're watching around the world online. We're just thrilled to have you with us. We're in a series called Chapter 29, and it's out of the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament. And it's really the book of Acts is the story of what God wants to do in our lives even now in the 21st century. It's, it's how in those 28 chapters, God rewrote the story of the lives of those who put their faith in Jesus and 
Their story changed the world in which they lived. And now, God wants to do the same thing through us. And so we're writing the chapter 29 right now with our lives. And that's what this whole series has been about. And what you need to know is that God writes his story not just through a couple of individuals isolated from one another who have great faith, but God writes his story through the life of individuals who've committed themselves to, to the community of believers, to what God calls church. And there's an interesting trend that's been going on in our world for quite a while now, and it's the trend away from the concept of church, uh, away from church. Not necessarily away from the desire for spirituality or faith, because, because there are many people who have this growing desire for spiritual experience, for, for faith, but, but they're doing it, they're trying to pursue it and find it away from the idea of church. And this is interesting, really, because in the past, any Christian pursuit of spirituality and faith put church, the idea, the concept of church, at the center. But today, at least for many, it's not at the center. In fact, there's this expanding tendency to pursue faith not in community, not gathered together, but instead as individuals, to do it in isolation as if it can be done alone. And this tendency has been driven by all kinds of negative ideas that have begun to grow and spread about the idea of church. And I'm sure you've heard some of them. Maybe you felt some of them. The, one of them kind of that's really expanding big time in our world these days is the idea that I love Jesus, but not the church. I, I really love Jesus. I mean, he's the real deal. He's, he's awesome, but... But, you know, church, not so much. There's the growing negative concept that says, I can live for and I can worship and I can serve Jesus. In fact, I'll, I'll do it gladly, but I can do it without the church. There's this idea that's spreading that Jesus is relevant and Jesus is important, but, but the church is irrelevant. The church is unimportant. And I have to tell you, in our, our world, these are being said a lot, and they can even be said in a way that sounds intelligent and sounds reasonable, and they even sometimes can seem right to us because of our experience with churches. But you just need to know they're not right. These concepts might actually fit your, the experience you've had with church. They, they've certainly fit the experience I've had with church. I rejected God full on early in my life because my experience in churches was that they were so far from the concept of God that I didn't want anything to do with them. In fact, what they did is they had turned the church into a place of religion and rules and, and rituals instead of a place where you could experience a, a true and personal relationship with God, and it just wasn't, wasn't positive for me. But, but that doesn't mean the concept of church is irrelevant and unimportant, and that doesn't mean church is not a vital experience to our life just because some people have messed up some of those church experiences. Here's the reality. You can't believe in, accept, or love the Jesus of the Bible and hold to these negative views about the idea of church. 
because these ideas are absolutely contrary to God's truth. According to God's word, our faith cannot fully be experienced alone as individuals in isolation from one another. It, it can't be done in the singular. It demands the plural. And I thought, since the book of Acts is all about this, that, that we should really highlight this idea with whether you yourself have started to believe that loving Jesus is great, but church isn't all that big of a deal, or, or you've just met others that believe this way. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And I think the truth of that passage is pretty clear. I mean, I have one human body, but it's made up of a lot of different parts, right? I've got fingers, hands, arms, toes, feet, legs, and, and all these parts do different things, have different functions, but, but individually, if they're not attached, doesn't do me much good. But if they're all working together in unity, then this body's functioning. Well, the same thing is true with Christianity, our pursuit of spiritual faith in Jesus. Individually, without each other, we, we're, we're no better than a finger without a hand or a foot without a leg. I mean, we, we're just not complete alone, but, but together we can become everything God wants us to become. That's where it happens. And it says each member belongs to all the others. So, so if we disconnect from the other members, if we disconnect from the church community and the expression and commitment of that, then then we're literally making ourselves incapable of becoming all that God wants us to become. In Hebrews chapter 10, he puts it another way. In verses 24 and 25, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's, let's consider, let's always keep it as a part of our agenda to, to try and look for ways to fire each other up, to keep each other passionately involved in loving and in doing good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Not pulling away in isolation, as some are in the habit of doing, but, but instead being committed to the community, being committed to one another so we can encourage one another. And, and this should happen all the more as the day is approaching, the, the final day, the day of judgment, the day of Jesus coming. And what he's saying is, as time marches on and the world gets colder and colder and colder, we should be more and more and more committed to getting together so that we can keep each other passionately invested in Jesus. As the world over time gets darker and darker and darker, we should be even more committed to getting together so that the light can shine brilliantly through us, even in a world of darkness. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems to be going in reverse. And in the early days of the church, they met more and more and more, and as a result, they were on fire and changed the world. But as the days get colder and the days get darker in our particular culture, we we're less committed to getting together. Fire pictures this beautifully because when you put all the elements together, the wood and the coal all together, what happens is you, you can create this, this fire, this light, this, this source of energy, but, but when you start separating the elements, when you start taking out pieces of coal from the fire, you... you start removing them from the experience with each other, what happens is they, they start cooling off. They can't retain their heat. Now, right now, I wouldn't 
touch those pieces of coal because they'd burn me. They've been collectively producing energy, but a couple of seconds separated from the fire and they lose their heat immediately. And this is exactly what happens with believers who isolate from each other, who try to go it alone. They, they lose the fire. They, they lose the energy. They lose the force of passion in their lives. And, and they no longer experience the fullness of Jesus in their lives. And they no longer make an impact in this world. And it doesn't take long. I mean, already I can pick these pieces of coal up. And though there's warmth there, they're not hot anymore. There's, there's not enough energy to even burn me. And isn't it interesting in this world how, though many people claim to be followers of Jesus, very few are really absolutely committed to the community of believers to being a part of what Jesus is building. And as a result, with all this declaration of faith, faithlessness is growing. With all this declaration of light, darkness keeps growing. With all this declaration of love, hatred keeps expanding. And it's because... We're not doing what Jesus has called us to do. We think we can love Jesus without his church. We think we can live for and worship Jesus without his church. We, we think that's irrelevant, but it's not. Here's the simple reality that as I read through the 28 chapters of the book of Acts and long to be a part of God writing that kind of story in my life and the life of this spiritual community called Northridge, I, I realize that, that the reality is God's people need each other. God's people need each other. This isn't something we can do alone. This isn't something we can do in isolation. This isn't an individual journey. I can't pull away from you and expect to continually pull closer to God. No, like, like the coals from the fire, I'll become without heat, without light, without energy. And I, I, I know that you sitting there and listening to a talk like this, you could, you could start thinking that I'm trying to get something from you, that I, I'm wanting you to come here more often so, so that by you coming, our attendance will increase. And, and I, I, it couldn't be further from the truth. That's not my motivation. I mean, I don't want something from you. Do you realize the more of you here filling the seats, the more work for me? <laughs> right? This isn't like my goal. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience the fullness of Jesus' power in your life. I want you to experience the fullness of his presence in your life. I want you to experience the fullness of his promises in your life. And most people aren't because most people are trying to pursue him in isolation of the very place he wants to show up in our lives. And, and it's this kind of experience. God's people need each other. So the question is, when was the last time you felt the fire of God in your life? When was the last time you felt full of his love and his passion and his power and his presence? When was the last time? I bet the last time, if you analyzed your life, it was when you were most committed to the community of believers, when you were most invested and most involved. And if you haven't been experiencing it lately, it's because that hasn't been really at the center of your life. As I look around, it seems too many are making church an issue of convenience instead of compulsion. You know, convenience is, is there anything else going on this weekend or 
Am I going to go to church? Is, is it raining out? Because God knows at Northridge I'm going to have to walk in a lot of rain. You have heard that in the 21st century there's this unique invention called the umbrella, right? I mean, just curious. It's like, but people really do avoid coming here. It's raining. Oh, no, I don't think it's raining. I'm not It's snowing. Well, it's sunny, and we don't get many of those days in Michigan. Maybe I shouldn't go, you know. Well, it's cloudy. I could sit on the deck and not get burnt. Maybe I shouldn't go. And it's, I mean, on and on. Church is an issue of convenience, not an issue of vital importance to our life. And that's what makes the average person who comes to Northridge come one time every three weeks. And that's why so few of us are experiencing the full energy and force of, of God's work in our lives. You see, as I look at our world, rain and snow, don't keep people from the big house. <laughs> but they do keep people from God's house. And if I could just take a little rabbit trail just for a moment and say, big house is a pretty good place to go these days. <clears throat> just a thought. Nothing wrong with that. But isn't it sad, really, that people will sacrifice almost everything to go to a sporting event? But unless it's absolutely convenient, they'll easily give up the idea of church. It shows the value that people don't have for it. And of course, there are all kinds of things motivating this. There, there are all kinds of reasons that people give for neglecting church or rejecting church, and both are happening. I believe the vast majority of Christ followers and Christians are neglecting church. It's not the center of their life anymore. No wonder we're not experiencing Jesus as the center of our experience anymore. But, but there are many people, even those who call themselves Christians, who are rejecting the idea of church. And it's, it's destroying our ability to experience the power of God, the presence, the promises of God in our life. We won't experience the fullness of Jesus apart from his people. And you may be committed to the church, perhaps. You're not neglecting it at all. Maybe you're not rejecting it at all. But you need to know you live in a world where many are. And we have to help people understand that it's not okay to love Jesus and not love his church because you don't love the Jesus of the Bible if you don't love his church. And, and we have to, in this world, help people to know that, that you can't live for, you can't fully experience Jesus apart from the place where he's doing his work. You can't do it. And, and so we have to be able to combat these reasons. And one reason they give is that church is man-made. You hear this everywhere. I love Jesus, not the church, because Jesus is God, but the church is man-made. And I, I just need to tell you, wrong, wrong, wrong. It's just not true. Now, the church is man-messed up, <laughs> but it's not man-made. And so just because some human beings have messed up some church experiences doesn't mean that the concept of church isn't a vital deal. And we have to know the difference. I mean, I was very exposed to messed up churches. They had turned them into places of religion instead of places where we could have a relationship with God. And, 
And you know why the church can be so messed up by human beings? It's because the church isn't a building. The church is people. And people have this weird tendency, have you noticed, to be messed up. And so they can mess churches up, but the church is not man-made. It's God-made. Look at Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you that you are Peter. He's talking to one of the first leaders of the church. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. What will he do? I'll build my church. He doesn't say, I'm going to build a couple of unique individuals who, like Elijah, go out and hold the banner of faith in this world. No, he's not building individuals. He's building his church as people, individuals, commit themselves to the community. I will build my church. And then look what it says. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome his church. You know what that's telling us, right? Alone, hell overcomes us. But together... We overcome hell. Do you know how cool that is? And as I look around, I'm telling you, hell's doing the overcoming today. Hell's overcoming our lives. The coldness of hell and the darkness of hell and the loneliness of hell and the pain of hell and the destruction of hell and the betrayal of hell and the hatred of hell. It's just overcoming this world the immorality and perversion of hell. It's overcoming this world and it's influencing so many Christ followers because those Christ followers can't overcome hell alone, but, but together we can overcome hell. Together we don't lose the heat. Together we live in the heat. The question is where are you living and what are you experiencing? When God shows up, nothing can put out the fire. And he shows up when we gather together. There's another verse that makes it clear that God loves the church. He made it. Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives. What I'm about to say has nothing to do with that, but I thought I'd throw that part of the verse in so you wives would have something to talk about with your husbands on the way home. And, uh, <laughs> but husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And what that passage is saying is that, that God loved the church so much he died for the church. You know, he didn't just die for a couple of sucked individuals. He died so he could put together this community of believers that could overcome hell. Do you realize that what we lost when we walked away from God was our love for one another, our community? But what Jesus does is he redeems us back so that we can once again enjoy the strengths of one another and belong to each other. The church is at the center of almost the entire New Testament. The church is not man-made. The church is man-messed up, but, but the church is God-made, and we need to value it. There's another reason that people give for neglecting church or rejecting it, and it's the simple idea that the church today is messed up. And I've talked about how, you know, the church can be man-messed up. It can really be a problem, and... There are a lot of people who have this view that it's different today than it was in the early days. You know, it's like, I, you know, I'm not, I, I get back in the book of Acts them, you know, getting together and being committed to the community because church back then was, was awesome. It was great. It was beautiful. It was terrific. It was enjoyable. It was perfect. It was great. It was awesome. It was perfect. But, but today it sucks, right? 
I mean, they, they, it's just had so many, it's just gotten so messed up. And, and let me just tell you, anyone who believes that, that the church is messed up today, but it wasn't messed up back then, hasn't read the Bible. You just haven't read the Bible. In fact, let, let me just, let me give you the sad reality. The church has always been messed up. Always. This isn't a new phenomenon. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is back then, in the days of, of Acts. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church, people who were in the family of God. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who lived by the Spirit of God, but I had to address you as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I, I gave you milk, not solid food, for, for you weren't ready for God's truth. Indeed, you're still not ready for the deeper parts of God's truth, because you're still worldly. You're not at all like Jesus, for since... There's jealousy and quarreling among you. You're competing with each other as if you need something still instead of enjoying the fullness of God's spirit. Are you not worldly? And then he finishes this with an indicting question. He says, are you not acting like mere humans? That's kind of weird on the surface, right? Yeah, they're acting like humans. Uh, they are humans, but that's not what's being said. He's saying, Aren't you acting as if you've never met Jesus? Aren't you acting as if you've never been redeemed at all? Aren't you acting as selfishly as those who've never been filled with Christ in their life? Aren't you acting in darkness instead of light? Aren't you acting cold instead of warm? Yes, because you're acting this way instead of that way. You need to stay committed to community. You need to stay a part of this thing and and the church today is messed up, but it was messed up back then. And yet, when God spoke back then, who did he speak to? His messed up church. He speaks to the church. When God did something back then, who did he do it through? His messed up church. When God gave gifts, who did he give gifts to? His messed up church. In Ephesians 4, he says, hey, I'm going to give you some great leaders and great teachers and great servants. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you people with gifts to do everything. And who was he talking to? His messed up church. Who experienced God's gifts? The people who were committed to his messed up church. Who didn't experience God's gifts? The people who thought they were too good for God's messed up church. Well, let me tell you, those who think they're too good for God's messed up church are more messed up than the people in the messed up church. <laughs> That's just the way that is. What did Jesus claim his focus was on back then? It was building his messed up church. And what did Jesus die for? It was for his messed up church. And so I just, I'm going to ask two questions and I'll give you the answers. Is the church perfect? No. No, it's not. I know this because I'm the pastor of a church and I'm just almost perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know what the good news about North... You know why I love Northridge Church? It's filled with messed up people, and I know this because I'm more messed up than, than you are. I mean, it's like it's... Is the church perfect? No. Is the church essential? Yes. Vitally essential. And, and, I, and I want you to realize, and this is, this is to all of us, you don't have to be perfect to be part of God's church. 
Religion tries to manufacture a set of rules and regulations and rituals that you have to live up to in order to be a part of it, but that's man messing up God's church. But you know who Jesus wants as a part of his church? Messed up people. People who have failed and people who are flawed and people who are broken and people who are hurting, who with Jesus' grace can find healing and help and joy. So you don't know Jesus, you're welcome. You, you're experiencing great pain, you're welcome. You failed, you're welcome. Because we're not about religion, we're about a relationship with God and when you walk into that relationship with God it starts to transform who you are. So here's the truth that I really woke up to as I was going through the book of Acts over and over again this summer. It just, I just couldn't help but see it. God works in special ways when his people gather together. God works in special ways when his people gather together. And I, I have to tell you, I, I long to experience God's work. I, I, I long to experience God showing up in my life and in your lives. I long for God to show up in this world and make a difference. I long for him to. But God does it where his people gather. The authenticity and power of faith is only fully experienced in community, not in isolation. The hope of Jesus is only fully experienced in the plural, not the singular. And look at it, it shows it right in the beginning of the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This, this verse just bounced out at me as I was reading Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The day of Pentecost is a day I would have loved to have been a part of. I mean, where God's promise was fully experienced in the real world, where God's presence was fully experienced in the real world, where God's promises fully unfolded, where his power was demonstrated in unbelievable ways. I would have done anything to be a part of that. But, you know, it didn't happen until his people were together in one place. And so when they got together, that's where God showed up. But you know what's interesting? There were people of faith all over the world, but that's not where the Spirit poured out. The Spirit was poured out where God's people chose to be gathered together. That's where God does his special work. Do you know how sad it would have been to have been one of God's followers back then, but, you know, it was raining and you just didn't really want to get wet? Maybe there was an interstate rivalry game on and you just didn't want to go? There was something happening that just, you know, was a little bit more important than getting together with God's people. And so what you experienced was nothing like what they experienced. It doesn't happen every time we're together. It doesn't happen with each of us every time we're together. But do you want to experience the work of God in your life? Do you want him to light a fire in your heart and life? Do you really want to experience God's presence and power and promises in your life? Hey, be faithful to getting together because that's where God shows up and Jesus said it. Look at Matthew 18, 20. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them, Jesus said. And this isn't say, saying when you gather together, do whatever you want, there I am. He's, when you gather in my name, when you're getting together on the basis of what I created you for, church, that community deal, there am I with them. When we get together, he shows up in special ways and we're in a world less and less 
committed to the idea of gathering together and we're also in a world where less and less people are experiencing his powerful presence and the reason goes when those two things meet. The less we're committed to each other and getting together, the less we'll experience the powerful presence of God in our lives. And the honest truth is, yes, we can worship him anywhere. Yes, we can worship him anytime because Jesus is everywhere and always present. We should be worshiping him at work and at home and in nature. Of course we should, but there's something special about coming together. This is where he really surprises us. This is where he's always done his greatest work. When he shows up, when we're together, lives change and leaders change and the world changes. That's what happened back then. You know, they were committed to each other and getting together and, and they literally changed the entire Roman Empire. We're not having much of an impact in our world today. It seems like the empire is changing us instead of us changing the empire. And it has everything to do with how little we're committed to the idea of being the community of his people. The power comes when God's people come together and pool who they are in his name and he explodes with power in the world. And this isn't something I want from you. You coming and sitting in a seat isn't to my benefit, but you experiencing the fullness of God is to yours. And it happens when we come together. Churches have never been perfect. Never. But when those imperfect churches have gathered together, that's when the perfect one has shown up in big ways. And I want to experience the showing up of the perfect one, so... That takes me being committed to the gathering of us imperfect ones. I want some of that. If I was alive back then, I would have done anything to be a part of Pentecost, but most didn't experience it because they didn't gather together. And I just want you to know the same thing happens today. We miss out on so much because we're not where God shows up. And here's what I love. Back then, it wasn't a duty for them to get together. Today, we kind of feel like it's a duty. Oh, gosh, I got to go. Even those of us who are most committed to it. Gosh, I got to go to church. All right. You know? Back then, it was like they couldn't help but want to be together. So much so that, you know what they did? They met together daily. That's bizarre, right? But it explains how they changed the world. They were together so much, Jesus showed up so much that the fire that was generated consumed the world of that day. And we get together so little that there's no fire to be detected. Here's the question. How important is gathering together to us? Could the lack of importance explain why we're not changing the world in our chapter 29 like the early church did in their chapters 1 through 28? I, I have this weird imagination that kind of attaches itself to the spiritual journey. Can you imagine the day in our world when people are on StubHub or Ticketmaster scalping tickets to go to church instead of concerts or sporting events? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
empty stadiums all over the world and filled churches with the power of God, filling a dark world with light and heat. That's the kind of world I want. That's where we need to be. And so here's the application. If we want to experience the fullness of God's work in our lives, if we want our chapter 29 to be as good as their 28 chapters, then, then we must be committed to co gathering together to the community of God's people because church is where God has chosen to show up because church is where God has chosen to work in special ways. And that's why I named this talk, Gathering of Hope. Church is a gathering of hope. And in a hopeless world, what should we want more than to be a part of a gathering of hope? That's what we need. If you're looking for hope, don't pull away from church. Pull closer. If you're missing the fire and the light, make gathering together a priority in your life because that's where God shows up. And if you want to share hope with others, invite people to gather with us. Invite them here. I believe by inviting people here, we are inviting them to an opportunity to experience a hope they'll never find anywhere else. And we're not inviting them here to increase our attendance. Who cares about our attendance? We care about the souls of people who don't know the hope of Jesus. Invite them to the gathering of hope. That's what we should do. And one of the things they did when they gathered in community together experiencing Jesus was they, they broke bread together. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and God was praised and they experienced people giving them favor because of it and and the Lord changed lives, added to their number daily those who were being saved. They broke bread together. It has kind of two connotations to it, this breaking bread. One is the one you'd expect. I mean, they got together, they were together a lot, and so they dipped Doritos together. You know, I mean, that's what they did. They ate together, you know. Someone made some great queso, and they broke out the chips, and got high cholesterol, died young, and went to heaven early. I mean, this is what they did back then. But it has another connotation to it. It's, it also has the connotation that when they got together, they, they celebrated communion together. They broke bread. The last time they were with Jesus before his death, he broke the bread. They were just together eating and and he turned it into a spiritual experience where he said, I want you to know that even when we're just sitting here eating, you should put God at the center because in this imperfect gathering, when you recognize the perfect one's presence, that's when things happen. And, and so they would break bread and they'd say, this bread is a symbol of Jesus' body that was given for us. And, and they would pour the wine and they'd say, this wine is a symbol of Jesus' blood poured out on us. And what gives us hope in this gathering is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the redemption that he brings into our lives. And so we want to join them this weekend as a community of believers in celebrating communion. And one of the reasons we don't celebrate communion on the weekend very often is we want our weekends to be 
a very open and inviting place for those of you who aren't yet followers of Jesus to come in. And this is why we say when you come in as a guest that, look at, don't give the offering. This service is our gift to you. You see, God's not trying to scrape together all the money he can for his thing. He, he can do okay with that. He's, he's wanting the hearts of his people to be generous and compassionate and to give and and so we say to those of you who aren't believers, don't, don't give. Seriously, it's okay. It's cool. Keep coming. We don't do communion because this is just for people of faith, for believers. And we don't want to invite you in and every weekend say, you can't have our bread and our wine. You know, we don't want to do that. So we, we don't do communion in this environment often. But this weekend we're going to because it's the ultimate way to recognize his presence. To remember we exist because of him that this is an environment of hope. And if you're not yet a believer, I want you to know you can be. It's not some religious hoop you have to jump through. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I, I want you. So before we celebrate communion, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer, just for a moment. Jesus led in prayer before the celebration of communion. As we bow in prayer, those who are going to serve communion are going to get ready. And if you're here and you're saying, I don't know Jesus, just take my words in this prayer and make them the expression of your heart to God. Quietly just say, Jesus, I, I need you. I need hope. And so I admit my sin and my guilt and my shame. I've blown it in life. But I acknowledge that you died on the cross for my sin. And by faith I'm receiving your forgiveness. And you rose again to give me new life. And by faith, I'm receiving that new life. Forgive me and make me new in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you just prayed with me that way, two things. First, let me know because I've written a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. In your programs, a connection card, fill it out. It's self-explanatory. And then there are boxes at every exit. Throw it in there and we'll send you that letter. If you're watching online, hit the what next button. We'll do the same for you. But, but the second thing I want you to know, if you just prayed with me, please celebrate communion with us. Because when we take the bread, what we're saying is that by faith, I've already swallowed, I've already appropriated Jesus' forgiveness in my life. And so I'm eating the bread. When we drink the wine, we're saying, well, by faith, I've already applied the blood of Jesus to my life. I'm forgiven, and so I'm drinking the, the juice. And, and that's what we do. But if you don't know Jesus yet, just don't take the bread or the juice. It's okay. There's no judgment. We're glad you're here. And if you're a Christ follower but you're not living for him, don't take it because, you know, lying is not a, an appropriate form of worship. And to receive this is to say, he's Lord, he's Savior, I'm here for him. And so, as we pass these elements, I'm going to encourage you, first of all, to stand with me, if you would. As you're standing, take the elements, it's one package, it's got both in it, and just hold it, and I'll come up and we'll celebrate communion together, and... Remain standing because we're going to worship as the elements are passed.
Jesus, oh precious, oh precious is 
And together we experience him in ways that we could never alone. And so together it is that we remember that the love that enables us to be committed together in good times and bad, the love that can literally transform us as individuals, a community, and ultimately the world comes because Jesus gave his body for us on that cross. And with this bread that we eat, we remember him. And in shedding his blood, he made it possible for our failures and sins of the worst kind to be forgiven so that we could be filled with his goodness of the greatest kind. And so we drink in remembrance of him. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, while you remain standing, because we're about ready to go, I just want to remind you that we can have the full energy of God's work in our lives, but not disconnected from one another. But the good news is, when we reconnect, we reheat up, and we become a gathering of hope that can change the world. Let's commit to gathering together and change this world together, okay? I mean, let's do it together. Finally, I, I just two little announcements. The first is this. Because we're so big on this community thing and connecting thing, we decided as a so what to this talk that we would create these beautiful big fire pits out on our campus where we could go and enjoy the fire and then it rained. <laughs> the best laid plans of mice and men. All right, here's the thing. So we changed tax. We're going to do it without the fire pits but on the inside, and so in our room 12101, right off the lobby, and our big activity center, both rooms behind this auditorium, we're serving free cider and free hot cocoa because we know free works with Christians. <laughs> and we want you to go spend time with each other, get to know each other. I'm gonna come back there, a lot of our staff, it's going to be great. Last but not least, November 9th is a Wednesday night. We as a church are bringing in Vertical Church Worship Group. It's just for us. We're bringing them in, so we're wanting to pack this place on that night for worship. And if you're into worship, if you're into gathering together, make November 9th a commitment. It, there'll be childcare. It'll be great. It's going to be fantastic. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>